Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Traditional psychiatry, integrative medicine, or just someone to talk to, Dr. Carly is here to provide moms with personal solutions so that they may experience whole body, mind, and well-being at this most extraordinary time of motherhood. Now, please welcome the host of MD for Moms, Dr. Carly Snyder. Welcome. You are listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. I'm a reproductive and perinatal psychiatrist, meaning I work with women struggling with emotional symptoms throughout their reproductive years. I'm also mom to three spirited, wonderful kids, the last of whom made a very grand, somewhat early entrance more of this topic to come in the show today. Um, this show, MD for Moms, is dedicated to helping women enjoy life more, to maximizing health and wellness, and to improving women's relationships with themselves and with others. So I'm going to remind you throughout the show that you can call in and ask questions directly on air. The number is 855-856-1380. Take advantage and give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Today, we are continuing a series called Mama Docs On Call, where I am introducing you to physicians who are also moms, each of whom has unique insights that are relevant to you and your family. The first part of this series is really focusing on pediatrics. We have different subspecialists within pediatrics, and then in a few weeks, we're going to branch out. Today, we are going to discuss a topic that scares, I think, basically every parent during pregnancy, and that is having a baby in the NICU. It's not an easy topic, but it is such an important one. My third baby was born early and was pretty sick when she was born, so she really scared us. She was in the NICU, and you know, despite my medical training and my experience, nothing, nothing really prepared me for having a baby in the NICU. And thankfully, she did beautifully, but it was still, it's one of those really scary experiences. Today, hopefully my guest will give us insight into really the NICU itself. Where, what is it? What's going on? And what baby is there? 
So Jennifer Kurtz, D.O., is a graduate of Nova Southeastern University College of Osteopathic Medicine. She trained in pediatrics at Schneider Children's Hospital, and she did her perinatal perinatal neonatal medicine at Cohen's Children Me- Children's Medical Center of New York. Jen has been practicing neonatology since 2013, and she is an attending neonatologist at Cohen's Children's Medical Center of New York, which ranks nationally in the top 30 for neonatal medicine. She is the chief of pediatrics neonatology at Long Island Jewish Forest Hills Hospital and an assistant professor of pediatrics for Hofstra Northwell Health School of Medicine. She's also a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and is board certified in pediatrics and in neonatal perinatal medicine. So really, you know, Jen, you're no slouch. Let's say it that way. I'm so (laughs) glad you're joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so glad you're here. So I guess let's jump in. And could you tell us how you decided to go into pediatrics and then even more specialized into neonatology? Yes. So it's funny. I always did, you know, all my summer jobs and everything. I was always working with children. Even in college, I, you know, taught science to little elementary school students. I was always working with children. And you would think the answer would be so obvious, but it wasn't until really towards the end of medical school that I was like, duh, I really, I just love working with children. So that's kind of when I made that decision to go into pediatrics. Um, but as for neonatal, it's interesting because I wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, it's not something that people talk about that much, or at least hadn't, you know, as I was growing up, I really didn't hear too much about a NICU or anything like that. And it wasn't until I started residency that my very first rotation, my intern year was in a NICU. And I loved it. I It was like a whole new world to me. And I really found everything fascinating. It was so much science and so much hand-holding with families, which I really do like. I, I really love working with families. And um, there was math and there was procedures. And it, it just everything about it was just fascinating to me. And, of course, they're babies. They're adorable babies. And I felt like I was really doing something so important to me. So, um it took. It didn't take much time for me to realize I loved it. It took a little time to convince myself that that's where I wanted to spend my life. And I have to imagine it's not always an easy place to work. No, it, it's not. Uh, you know, no. So I've gone through two pregnancies, and it wasn't easy being pregnant and working in a NICU yeah. mentally. But I think it 100% takes a certain type of person to work in a NICU. And I think... Luckily, that's, you know, that's my mentality of um, wanting to be there and, you know, wanting to do everything I possibly can. And it isn't easy, but it's, it's very rewarding. Now, for the parents who are listening, is every NICU admission concerning, right? Meaning like every baby you see, are you incredibly concerned about their health and welfare that there's a problem or are some NICU admissions what we call a mess and soft, Most of them are not as concerning as you would think. Um, A lot of times what we do run into is a mom has a fever while she's delivering a baby for whatever reason. We know there could be a lot of reasons why mom has a fever during labor. It's not even necessarily because something's actually wrong. Even an epidural can cause a fever just by virtue of that or just being so hot from being in labor can cause a fever. But, you know, we do worry about infection and we will admit um, some of these babies 
to, you know, depending on how hard the mom's fever is, will admit some of them to the NICU. And these babies look plump and happy and healthy and like just like you'd want your baby to look. Um, and so we're not quite as concerned about a lot of these babies because, you know, we're really just observing them. And then, you know, there are babies that we're just observing. You know, they really look okay, but they're for various reasons. We do need to observe their sugar. Or we need to observe them eating. Um, and those are not as concerning. So I would say to parents, don't freak out if you hear the word NICU. It's not, it's not always, you know, such a bleak thing at all. Um, but it does mean a closer level of care. It means a little bit more observation, which is not necessarily a bad thing. No, I mean, look, the more eyes on a baby, right, the better. Exactly. Um, I mean, some parents are like, can we take you all home with us? So, so yeah, yeah you, I get you know, you're getting a little more eyes. <laughs> you're getting more eyes on your baby, but um, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to start, you know, hitting a panic button and freaking out. Now, what about, so does every woman who, should every woman deliver in a hospital that has a NICU? If your OB says, you know, I'm, the hospital is has a close proximity to a NICU or what have you, should that raise red flags or in general, do you think that's okay? I do think that everyone should deliver in a hospital that at least has what is called a level two NICU. So NICUs are different levels. There's level two would be, a, level one is actually really just completely well babies. There's no issues at all. But a level two NICU does have at least a special care nursery where you do have a neonatologist working there and you do have nurses that can handle something a little bit more acute. You do want to deliver, you know, in close proximity to a perinatal regional center, which is a place that can handle something very, very critical. So you don't necessarily need to deliver at a hospital like that because some people find those hospitals overwhelming. They prefer to deliver in a community hospital where it's a little more family friendly, like a little more hands-on, I feel like. Um, so you don't necessarily need to deliver at a huge um, perinatal center, but you need to at least consider being close to one. And you do need to at least, in my opinion, um, you know, have nurses and a neonatologist that's trained to help a baby should any issue arise. Because unfortunately, we can't plan, um, you know, everything to be perfect. There's always a risk of something going wrong. And I, I do think we should take you know, precautions for that. Oh, I agree with you 100 percent. A hundred percent. You know, honestly, beyond that, my daughter was early, which, you know, we figured that one out while I was in labor, but we could never have imagined that she was going to be born. And, you know, she was gray and she was floppy and she had and turned out she had pneumonia. Um, and, you know, that's not something during my pregnancy, there were no indications of anything. I mean, she was great. Um, so I, I'm so thankful that we were in a hospital. I mean, we delivered at Mount Sinai, which is, has got a, you know, excellent NICU. Um, but I have to imagine that that can cause a lot of anxiety if there is, you know, if you're not that close to a NICU, makes sense to be somewhere where at least someone knows what they're doing with these little munchkins. Because some of these babies are really small. I mean, outside of illness, they're tiny. Listen, and uh, they're tiny and they do need special care. But in addition, you can, you could have a huge baby that has a lot of issues because, um, you know, sometimes a, a bigger baby isn't better. A lot of times they do have problems with their sugar and eating and things like that. So 
I do think that, you know, really you should always make sure that there is some degree of special care at the hospital you deliver at. Um, you know, I, I don't, like to say that I, you know, I'm a pessimist because I'm not, but you know, you have to prepare for the worst, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and hope for the best. What about a woman who's pregnant with twins? Do you think that means that she should really be in a, uh, a true NICU hospital? Um, I do for the most part on, um, you know, hopefully things go well. I do think that a lot of the fault is falling on the OB side. So in the sense that if a mom's pregnant with twins, she is automatically high risk and she's going to be followed really closely by her OB. And if everything is going wonderfully, she doesn't necessarily need to deliver again in a very high acuity kind of NICU. Um, but she should, um, you know, in, again, be in close proximity to one. She doesn't necessarily need to worry if everything has been going smoothly, but twins for sure you know, are definitely more concerning. They're, they're usually born preterm. Um, they don't usually, you know, make it to full term. Um, and they do often, you know, have some issues because of just being twins. How many um, home births end up in your NICU typically? Um, unfortunately, more than, you know, I like to see. Um, and it's, it's really upsetting um, because, you know, you, you hope for everything to go well with a home birth, obviously. But what is upsetting is the times when they just wait too long to get to a hospital. Um, and I don't say I see a ton of them, um, but I do see enough that it, it does make me upset when we do see them because this could completely be avoided. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, OK, don't have your baby at home if that's something that's so important to you. But really, you need to be with someone who knows what they're who knows what they're doing. Um, and you need to be on high alert that if anything is not going as planned, you need to get to a hospital immediately. You should not delay. And that's usually when we see huge problems, when they they delay. They wait, you know, 40 hours into labor. And oh, it's just, it's awful. So, and the results can be devastating and it's completely avoidable. Um, so, no, I don't see a ton but even one in, you know, a few months is, is upsetting that they, they shouldn't be there. You know, this shouldn't have happened. I, yeah. Um, and for the non-medical people, why is waiting 40 hours a problem? Anytime, as soon as your water breaks, you should get to a hospital. Um, because you, as soon as you're exposing, you know, your membranes, you're putting yourself at risk to infection. So you need to get to a hospital <laughs> Um, and so some of these women who are in labor for 40 hours, you know, first of all, they're exhausted. And clearly, if they're not, you know, making any progress in a, in a lot of time, like they really do might need some medical assistance with making progress and having this baby. And they're putting themselves and their baby at risk of having infection. And that's a huge thing. And the babies can be seriously ill and it could have been avoided the entire time. Which, you know, I... It's very scary concept. It must be one of those emergency situations when one of these babies comes in. Um, we have to take a brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and we are talking about having baby, a baby in the NICU with neonatologist Dr. Jen Kurtz. And when we return, we're going to discuss what to do if your baby needs a NICU admission. How can parents plan or can they stay with us? 
Essential Nutrients LLC is the brainchild of entrepreneur Barbara Burns. Inspired by a desire to help others, Barbara worked with a team of scientists to develop unique nutritional liquid supplements with the goal to improve the quality of your life. Glucosamine, zinc, and calcium are essential to well-being, and this is the focus of Essential Nutrients LLC. Whether you're a professional athlete, weekend warrior, student, business owner, or homemaker, Essential Nutrients offers products for everyone, including the family pet. And they're easy to take, no pills. Health requires commitment, exercise, a good diet, proper supplementation, and action. So take action today and get your supply of essential liquid nutrients by visiting www.essential-liquids.com. Don't put off your health any longer. Take essential products today and start to measure the difference. Unleash the obstacles that bind you with certified professional coach Joanne Charette, a master practitioner in energy leadership. Joanne can help you break through personal and professional barriers and guide you to a higher level of empowerment and fulfillment. Passionate and dedicated, Joanne engages with her clients on a mutual journey. Her dynamic energy will motivate you to move forward as you partner on a venture to greater results. Isn't it time to make a breakthrough and commit to live the life you deserve? Invest in yourself and let Joanne Charette be the catalyst the realization of your dreams by making them a reality. Based in Quebec, Canada, Joanne is also a space coach using social media and Skype to work with anyone anywhere around the world. Contact Joanne Charette today at 819-360-3266 or email her at actionrealization at live.ca. 819-360-3266. Now is your time. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Sainer, and today my guest is Dr. Jen Kurtz, who's a pediatrician and a neonatologist. And I wanted to remind everyone, you can call in and ask anything directly to Jen or myself because our phone lines are open. The number, again, is 855 855- 8561380. So before the break, we were talking about, and I promised really to ask, what should a parent do if they're told their baby may be born early, if they're told that their baby is going to require a NICU admission? Is there anything a parent can do during a pregnancy to prevent a preterm delivery? So unfortunately, in most cases, no. Um, You know, listen, when you're pregnant, you really need to take care of your health. You need to make sure you're well hydrated. You need to make sure you're eating well. Um, Those are really the two best things that you can do when you're pregnant to make sure that, you know, you don't go into early labor. That and, you know, not overexerting yourself or being incredibly stressed out. But aside from that, unfortunately, there really is nothing we can do to prevent preterm births. Um, And that's why there's so many neonatologists out there. Um, (laughs) But the best thing to do is ask questions. So if you're preparing for a preterm birth, if, you know, you come into the hospital in labor and you know the baby's going to be early, ask to speak to the neonatologist. Or usually they'll, they'll call us right away anyway. But ask to speak to the neonatologist and ask them questions and go through everything. And they're going to help you understand what to expect. So nothing is – it's going to be overwhelming. It's just going to be overwhelming. And, you know, that's, that's the truth. But to make it a little less overwhelming, ask questions and um, find out what to expect a little bit just to get an idea of what, what's going to happen. And I guess that, that begs the question, 
how involved should a parent plan to be or really can they be with a baby in the NICU? They can. A NICU is a team. It's not just a doctor shouting out things and telling everyone what to do. It's really a team effort. The nurses are so involved in the care of the babies. The doctors are so involved and the parents are involved. You know, a doctor's not going to be standing at the baby's bedside 24-7 because it's not realistic. We have, you know, so many other patients and we're going to make rounds and we're going to really be there when the baby needs us. Um, but we also have the nurses and the parents and we work together. And so the parents are involved and they should ask questions and they should educate themselves. And when I say that, I don't mean go on Google. I mean, mm-hmm. actually educate yourself, ask questions and, you know, read, read whatever you think that is, you know, it, it's scientific, not necessarily just something you, you know, found on Google. But um, I think it's so important that the parents are involved in the care of the babies. We want them to be involved. And this way, when they, the baby is ready to go home, the parents are ready to take the baby home. They're, you know, they're kind of emotionally have been going through this whole process with everyone around them. And they're, they're able to take the baby home and feel much more comfortable. And if a woman has already had a baby, a preemie, for example, or a baby um, who required NICU for whatever mission, for whatever reason, if she is pregnant a second time, is she at a greater likelihood of having another baby requiring NICU admission or is there completely no correlation? Yeah, so there really isn't. Um, there's so many reasons why baby could be premature, of course, but in general, no. And I, the, one of the most wonderful examples I could think of is I took care of a very small baby born at 27 weeks and he was tiny and frail and I actually became very close with the family because they were there so long. And they, you know, two years later had a full term, completely healthy little girl with no issues. And I always think of that and it always makes me smile because I saw what they went through with having such a tiny premature baby and they were able to just move on with their lives and have a full term baby. So that's important to remember, you know, every experience. And I think Carly and I, Dr. You know, we can agree that every single pregnancy is different. Um, every experience oh God, is different. Yes. So, so, you know, and I think you should remember that if you do have a baby in the NICU, that um, it doesn't necessarily mean the next time is going to be the same. And I, I mean, I agree with you completely. I, um, you know, I think it's also just scary. People have a lot of anxiety thinking about what their first baby went through. But I think it's it sounds very comforting to know that, that just because it happened one time doesn't mean that there will be, you know, you're not going to be a repeat offender family, so to speak. Um, you're not going to be in again, though, if you are, frankly, so it goes, right? Because most babies, most babies do okay, correct? Yeah, that's, you know... People do ask me all the time, how do you deal with your job? But the truth of the matter is, most of what I do see is good. I don't always see such gloom and doom. Um, you're usually going to go home with a healthy baby. Um, and that's that's the best part, you know, the best thing to say. So just because your baby's admitted to the NICU, it's not, you know, this bleak end of the world situation. Um, and just because your baby was admitted to the NICU, it doesn't mean your next baby is going to be admitted to the NICU. And for the babies who are... For example, you know, born at 27 weeks or even earlier, or are quite are in the NICU for a long time. Are there any common long-term complications or you know results of being a preemie that you see? So funny enough, no, there aren't. So there are so many former preemies walking around on the streets doing everything that you and I are doing, and you would never know. And that's great. Um, there are some things that we do see commonly. So. 
a baby that's born premature, you know, when we're talking very premature, you know, they are at risk for getting sick much more easily than you and I would. Um, so parents have to be really cautious during flu season and make sure no sick relatives come. They, they do have a much higher risk of getting sick and getting admitted to the hospital and wheezing and things like that. Um, and yes, there is a degree that some of um, premature babies will, will have developmental delays. And, um, you know, going far down the spectrum, there there's some that are so premature they do end up with issues that could potentially be cerebral palsy and things like that. But for the most part, there really is no major thing that you're going to see across the board with any premature baby. Um, and I think that that's, you know, something comforting that parents should know, that just because your baby is premature and admitted to the NICU, they might actually do fine. They might actually just be like any other child. And, you know, I will say I have my, I have two younger brothers, one of whom is about to graduate from medical school, and he is a former 28-week and he, I mean, needless to say, he's a rock star. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and he's not he's not uncommon. Um, so, what about so once the baby's in the NICU, can parents, you know, parents who put uh, pictures up, does that really help? Or singing, and you know, what things can parents kind of do in an active way to help their baby? You know, it, it does, actually. So does it help the baby? No, not necessarily. But it helps the families. It helps the sibling that is not there. So I, what I actually have seen is a lot of times there's, you know, an older sibling at home, and they know that mommy had a baby and the baby's sick. And they can't be there all the time. A lot of times we don't, you know, we, we have special days when we'll allow um, little ones to visit. But they're not common. You know, it's, you know, every few weeks or so. So they don't really know what's going on, but they know that their pictures in their baby, in their baby brother or sister's incubator, and that makes them feel so good, and it makes the parents feel good. So those things, they're not for the baby; they're for the family. Or you know, I see parents put up, um, you know, crucifixes or things, different things that make that. It's for the family. It's not for the baby, but it does make them feel better. And I think if that's something that comforts them, because you know they do need some comfort during this stressful time, I think it's great. What about skin-to-skin contact? Is that helpful for the baby? It is extremely helpful for the baby. Um, as soon as babies are stable, we really encourage that. And, you know, we call kangarooing. So we'll even have daddies take off their shirts and do that. Um, and it really is beneficial that skin-to-skin really does calm the babies down. And it, it really takes a lot of stress. Being a preemie is stressful. So... Um, it really does take a lot of stress out of that. And it, it, we've seen it helps them with their breathing. It helps them, you know, growing and feeding. And every, it really does help. So we try to encourage that as soon as possible. And it obviously really helps with parents. They, it makes them feel better. It, you know, they're, they're holding their baby, and that's really the best thing they can do. Absolutely. Um, now, along those lines of it being a stressful I mean, it's just a stressful environment, I think, you know, in terms of the lights and the bells and the whistles, et cetera, literally, right. figuratively. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on the NICU configurations, um, like the open, you know, floor plan, which I, my understanding is how most NICUs at least used to be, and then now, like, the smaller rooms, um, is there a difference? Is there a benefit a, or not? I do think so. But unfortunately, you know, we, we can't do that in every situation. A lot of the NICUs are old. The buildings are old. You know, there's not a lot we can do. But we try. 
So we really do try to um, have certain designated times where we lower the lights. Um, we discourage any loud noises and things like that. We really do try to make it as peaceful a situation as possible. We even, they actually have really tiny little um, covers for the baby's ears just to get the noise out. We just don't want to overstimulate them. So we do everything possible to make it comfortable for them in those big open rooms. Um, it's so much more ideal to have a room that's closed because, you know, just to like one baby at a time. You know, the families can be in there and mom can pump right at the bedside breast milk if she wants to and um, they can do skin to skin and they don't feel like they're, you know, in an open show. And um, it, it's quieter. So I do think it is definitely beneficial um, the way we're now kind of configuring NICUs as opposed to the old ones. But I do think we've tried very hard to make it a little bit more comforting for babies in those open floor plants. Um, I mean, I know at least when we were at Mount Sinai, they were reconfiguring their NICU to be um, with the smaller rooms. And um, I could, I can, as a parent, I can see how that would have been much less stressful, much more, um, because by definition, even if your baby's doing well, you can't help but be distracted by some of the babies who are not in the setting of being in a big room. I mean, it's just, frankly, it's scary. Um you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, being shielded from that, I have to imagine, is a good thing for all parties, parents included. Um, So what about, so you you mentioned earlier um, siblings. How Mm -hmm. old do you think it, at what age would it be appropriate to try and bring an older sibling to see the baby? You know, as soon as, if a sibling is aware that mommy had a baby, I think it's it's okay to bring them in. I really do think they, you know, we're underestimating toddlers even. They know what's going on. They know something's up. They know mommy and daddy disappear every night to go somewhere. They know that mommy had a big bump on her belly and now it's not there anymore. They They know something's up and they're smart. And I think them being a part of it is important for them. I also think it's important for the parents. I think... It must be incredibly stressful running back and forth between life with a you know a toddler, an elementary school kid, or even a teenager, and then running back to the hospital and, and going into preemie world. So I think sibling involvement is definitely something important and should be encouraged, even at a young age. That's good to know, because um, I think there's usually a lot of question around that. We have to take a brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and we are talking about taking care of the littlest, often the sickest babies, but not always. We're learning not always um, in the NICU with Dr. Jen Kurtz. And after the break, we're going to explore more about nursing and bonding if your baby is in the NICU. Don't go away. Animal lover, author, artist, and public speaker, Patricia Daly-Lipe is a renaissance woman in her own right. A lover of animals from a young age, Patricia lives on a farm in Virginia and has rescued neglected thoroughbred horses, keeping them or finding them safe havens. She is also a published author, and her books document real-life experiences that she shares in her passionate stories, taking the reader around the world in a colorful kaleidoscope of life. An accomplished artist, Patricia Daly Life's oil paintings feature animals, portraits, stills, nature, and abstract, and she allows the brush to paint the image in an organic, natural way. 
A public speaker, Patricia is motivated to continually wonder about life and advocates for all of us to do the same and document our own unique history. To learn more about Patricia Daily Life, visit www.literarylady.com and www.patricialife.com or email her at pdlife at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Steve Fagan, and I'm president and CEO of Fagan Associates, but I'm also a life coach. I'm here to help you reach your dreams, goals, and objectives. As a life coach, it's my job to be your support, to be your teammate, to help you understand what is your dream, what is your life passion, and then together, we work as that team to help you reach your specific goals. Life is worth living the best you can be. Working with a life coach, you're fulfilling those dreams and goals is your passion, and it's your way of living. Let me help you do that today. Let me help you really reach the best that you can be as a person and live the life you should be living. I'm Steve Fagan. I'm a life coach, and I'm here for you. Contact Steve Fagan at FaganAndAssociatesInc.com or call 1-800-239-2701. And I'll be glad to help you move forward to live the life of success. Reach your dreams, your goals, your objectives. We can do it together. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and today my guest is Dr. Jen Kurtz, neonatologist and pediatrician. And if you have a question, give us a call, 855-856-1380. So I guess right before the break, I said we would talk about breast milk and nursing. Is it okay for mom to pump? Is that helpful, not so helpful? Oh, yeah. It's um, it's wonderful. So we really encourage it as soon as possible, as soon as mommy is clinically stable. So like if mommy had a C-section or she's just not feeling quite up to it, we really encourage it as soon as possible. Um, you know, so getting back to pumping, why are we pumping? That's probably what people are wondering. So the reason would be some of these babies are so tiny, they're not going to eat from a breast or a bottle for a while. So what they will start doing is being fed by a tube. And that can be for a few weeks, depending on... Um, how premature they are. So we really want mommy to start pumping as soon as possible. And every NICU is very equipped to handle mommy's breast milk and store it properly. And um, it's so, so important for the babies. And um, we really work hard to help moms pump. We have, you know, always will have someone um, to do lactation with them. And um, we really encourage it. It's, It's something that doesn't sound so complicated. That is something so wonderful that a mom can do if her baby's in the NICU, and that really does help her help her baby grow. That's good to know because um, I think there's always a lot of question like, does it matter if you know I'm not actually physically nursing? But the answer is yes. Um, now, if a woman is pumping, does that is that sufficient for for example for probiotics? Right. So if a baby's on antibiotics. Um, do they get everything they need or should parents ask about adding probiotics, for example? So unfortunately, probiotics are not really FDA approved in the United States to be used in the NICU because don't forget it is a live product. So, you know, because of that, there's always a tiny risk that that live product can cause a problem. Um, One of the big things we worry about with a premature baby is something called necrotizing enterocolitis. It's basically a total, it's an infection in the intestine. Um, and it's something we're always very concerned about with premature babies. So because of that, we don't give them like a live product like probiotics. 
Um, in other countries, I know in Israel, they're, they're very into probiotics and they do use them all the time, but we don't routinely use them. So um, that is why breast milk is wonderful because there's a lot of good stuff in breast milk that helps um, you know, fight off infections in the intestine and help with anything like that and great antibody, antibodies. Um, and that's really the best mommy can do. We don't need to add anything extra. Well, good to know also. Now, what about how often do parents need to be there? I mean, I think, you know, obviously in the first days or weeks, in, it may be easier to be there all the time. But if you have another child at home and or you have to go back to work, um, is there detriment for a baby if their parent isn't there all the time? I mean, or if, if they're not getting kind of one-on-one connect, you know, interaction, maybe it's not even the, not even really interaction, but. It's not realistic that a parent's going to be there all the time. And especially the mom just went through something stressful. She just gave birth. She needs to take care of herself too. And she needs to, you know, potentially be home with her family. Um, so it's really important actually for mental sanity and physical strength that the mom gets rest, that she goes home and she sleeps in her own bed and she gets a good night of sleep and, you know, eats and is around her family that, you know, is not sick and, you know, doesn't, isn't stressful. It's important to go home. It's important to even, you know, some moms, like they have a birthday and their kids in the NICU and, you know, we, we say to them, go out with dad, go out for dinner, go on a date. It's really important. But just because they're not there, whether, you know, they have to go back to work or daddy can't be there that much because he has to work all the time, just them being involved is important. So NICUs are 24-7, you know, we don't close. So it's totally okay that if mom is pumping at three in the morning, she says, hey, I'm going to call the NICU and see how my kid's doing. And we encourage that. That's, that's fine. That's, that's wonderful. We want them to be involved, but that doesn't always necessarily mean because they're physically there because we know it's not possible. And believe it or not, you know, some people deliver – and a, you know, let's say a community hospital, and then their baby has to go to a larger perinatal center. So they're not even physically close to this perinatal center. So they can't come there all the time. And that's okay. What is important is that they're still involved. So they call, they ask questions, they know what's going on. And it is important closer to discharge from the, from the NICU that the mom and dad are there because they need to learn how to take care of their newborn. Um, they need to learn how to feed them. They need to learn how to burp them. They need to learn how to change diapers, you know, typical newborn things. But they need to learn those things. So, we, you know, closer to discharge, it's okay. the parents should be around a little bit more just to get more involved with the care. But it's okay if they're not physically there all the time because we know it's not a realistic expectation. And when babies do go home, do you guys usually send them? I mean, this is a general question, obviously probably can't answer it in general way. But how often do you recommend parents use um you know, various types of monitors. There's, a, I guess, a new one called the OWL where it monitors oxygen and movement and heart rate, you know, and all these things. In general, do you recommend people use those things or not so much? So in general, no. Um, I think the only thing they really do is increase the divorce rate. Um, <laughs> so they're true. Not, you know, when we send, it's true. Um, they cause a lot of anxiety. They, you know, cause parents fighting with each other in the middle of the night because the monitor went off again. Um, they're not that accurate. And the truth of the matter is, if we're sending your baby home from the NICU, and except for special circumstances, we're sending them home knowing that they're breathing comfortably on their own, that their heart rate doesn't just spontaneously drop. Um, you know, we've been monitoring them 24-7 for as long as they've been there. So we don't recommend that at all because 
you know, we're sending your baby home healthy. There are some situations where a baby, for whatever reason, you know, their their jaw is too small, so they're at risk for having these episodes, or they do have a, car, a heart condition that they need closer monitoring. Those babies, yeah, of course, those babies will send home on monitors, and we'll follow them very closely, of course. But um, in general, no, I, I absolutely do not recommend these at all. I think they just cause more anxiety and stress. And I have to imagine it holds for healthy babies even more so, right? I mean, uh, yeah, they move I all think the parents, time. They set the monitor yeah. off. It's just, yeah. yeah. Or they're deeply sleeping and they don't set the monitor off. And that actually inadvertently does set, you know, there are some settings where apparently the baby doesn't move in a certain amount of time. Then the monitor also goes off, which yeah, is so counterintuitive because it's called sleep. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> I mean, for all parties. Um, now before, I mean, I jumped ahead a little bit, but so for a baby to go home, what criteria have to be met? So in terms of criteria for a baby to go home, there's no magic weight. And I think parents always worry, do I, how much does my baby have to weigh? There is no special weight. We use small babies home that are, you know, a little over four pounds even. Um, they do have to eat everything by bottle or breast and be gaining weight. And they do have to be in a regular crib, you know, not, not an incubator, and maintain their temperature and growing. And they do need to be you know, breathing comfortably on, on regular room air, just like you and I do. Um, and those are the criteria. Um, in terms of actual tests that we do, we do a few tests before a baby goes home. We'll do, um, if they're born under 37 weeks, we do a car seat test. So they'll sit in the car seat for 90 minutes. And we're checking to make sure that their heart rate and their oxygen level doesn't go down while they're in the car seat. Um, and as long as they pass that, you know, they're able to go home with that. Um, we do a hearing test. Um, you don't have to pass the hearing test to go home, but we do a hearing test before every infant goes home. And if for some reason they don't pass it, you know, we'll repeat it later on. Um, we do a congenital heart defect test. So it's a very simple test. It just checks oxygen levels in the upper limbs and the lower limbs of a baby, and we see if they um, are matched. Um, and then if for some reason they're not, we'll actually have a cardiologist come and look at the baby and clear them to go home. So those are, you know, the criteria for discharge, and then there's separate tests that we do as well. I remember that car seat test. That was a long 90 minutes, I have to say. It, was, it is a long time. It was very – it was like – very, very long 90 minutes as a parent. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I've i heard of a lot of people hiring private nurses in the NICU. I, have a, I can guess what your answer is, but I'll ask anyway. Is there any benefit to that whatsoever? No, there's not. I mean, you're saying within the NICU, like while the baby's yeah. in the NICU? Yeah, yeah so I've no, had several nurses patients. are amazing. So yeah. our nurses are amazing, and NICU nurses are some of the best nurses in the world, and they really train very hard to be as good as they are. And I think every baby is lucky to have a NICU nurse take care of them. Um, so, no, I, do, I really don't recommend that at all. I think um, it's anxiety-inducing to imagine not being present as a parent. Um, but the number – I mean – the a nurse-to-baby ratio is always incredibly low, correct? Exactly. That's right. So I think there's, parents can take no. a lot of comfort in that. Yeah, their, their baby's not being ignored at all. That's, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's the biggest fear, right? 
both that something's going to happen, you're going to, you know, or that something's going to happen and somehow not be picked up. Right. It's yeah. And I can, I can understand fear. that concern for sure. But, um, your baby's really being closely monitored when they're in the NICU. And, um, now, I think they can take some comfort in that. Oh, I, I would hope so. Um, so I, or are there any classic questions that you get asked all the time by parents? Um, I do. So one of the things I get asked about all the time is breastfeeding because I think it stresses moms out a lot. Um, so a lot of um, my mornings with healthier babies, thank God, but a lot of them are spent, you know, going over breastfeeding with moms. And I think that this is where being a mom comes in because you can read about this. You can hear about it. You can watch lectures about it. Until I actually became a mom, I didn't really get it. Um, and I hate saying that because I'd love to think that everyone can explain it just as easily. But I really do think that being a mom has helped me in that situation with that common issue of, you know, parents, mom's really worried. Am I breastfeeding right? Is this right? Is he latching right? Is he doing this right? Is, and I think that I, um, I have some, you know, experience personally, and I think that helps a lot. That's a common, common, you know, common questions. Um, I get asked about vaccines a lot. Um, you'd be, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people have a ton of questions about vaccines. And even though their baby will only be getting one vaccine in the NICU, if they consent to it, which would be hepatitis B, um, they do have a lot of questions about vaccines. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you your view on vaccines in a few minutes, but actually it just occurred to me. So, for a parent who has anxiety, for example, about vaccines or, you know, about any exogenous, um, you know, injections, what have you, like, for example, the vitamin K, um, what do you say to those parents? And we'll jump to vaccines, I think, in a moment. But in terms of just, you know, parents who are hesitant or concerned, um, you know, you know, I get yeah. Well, I'll go over it with them, you know, in depth, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm so pro all of these things that there really is no debate at the end of the day. That's the perfect answer. We are going to take a brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Sander, and we are talking about how to cope and how to, you know, how to parent if you have a baby in the NICU with neonatologist Dr. Jen Kurtz. And when we return, Jen is going to talk to us more about her view on vaccines. And, you know, this is important. This is what I'm asking every pediatrician. It's important for us as parents to know. So stay with us. Certified professional coach Pamela Reeves can help you with your relationships. Motivational and image coaching are just some of the ways she can help you enhance all aspects of your life. Her book, Is It Love or Merely a Sick Attachment, helps readers clearly distinguish healthy, loving relationships from toxic ones. Ms. Reeves has put her words into action through Ray of Hope Kenya, an international initiative that provides outreach to victims of abusive relationships there with the goal of helping them rebuild their lives and the tools to avoid abuse. Ms. Reeves operates various businesses interest through her umbrella network, Nella LLC, and credits her success to her diverse work experience. Whatever your goals, whether striking a balance, reinventing your image, or simply lifting your lifestyle, Pamela Reeves will help you achieve them. Your life, your call. Dial 410-902-5715 or email Pamela at pamrego1 at verizon.net. She's also on the web at pamreeves.com and on Twitter at Pamela underscore Reeves. 
battle with weight loss? There is a solution. Founder of Weight No More Consulting, Deborah Simons, can help you lose weight safely and effectively through weight loss surgery. I know. I had the surgery two years ago, and I am 135 pounds lighter and medication-free. This full-service weight loss center caters to your every need as you navigate to a healthy weight following surgery. Servicing all of Canada, Weight No More Consulting takes pride in its compassionate care and guides you through each step before and after surgery. Starting with informational meetings, Weight No More Consulting educates each potential client before they decide to have surgery on the health risks of obesity and the various weight loss surgeries available. After surgery, Weight No More Consulting provides a solid support system with ongoing meetings to ensure continued success. Deborah Simons and Weight No More Consulting are committed to promoting your health and wellness through maintaining a healthy weight for life. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and today my guest is Dr. Jen Kurtz. And so before the break, I said, I'm going to ask you what I've asked every pediatrician. And so here I go. How do you, what's your view on vaccination? So I'm super pro vaccines. Um, You know, frankly, they're like I said, when it comes to a debate, this is the one thing that I, I won't debate about. Um, you know, there's absolutely no evidence that vaccines cause any problems in terms of autism or anything like that. Um, and, you know, the parents that are arguing with me about giving vaccines to their children are ones that, you know, never had measles. They never had polio because their parents vaccinated them. And I actually feel terrible for these small, defenseless babies who are not making this decision for themselves. And um, their parents, you know, read something on Google or some celebrity said something about vaccine causing autism. And and now they decided because of that, they're not going to vaccinate their children. I think it's cruel. I think that this is the one thing we have to prevent awful diseases. And I think it's so important for parents to vaccinate. And, you know, there is no debate. It's, they, they save lives, and that's, that's it. And, um, you know, I hate being almost judgmental about it, but why wouldn't you want to, you know, make sure your kid doesn't suffer from some awful disease if they don't have to? And I do just want to mention that. Yeah. Sorry. Um, vitamin K, which, you know, we give when a baby's born in erythromycin eye ointment. Those are actually, in, if you live in New York, those are actually, um, you know, required by law to be given. So, you know, I'll discuss it with the parents and I'll explain why we're giving them, of course. But at the end of the day, we really we have to give them because there's a reason we're giving them. And, um, you know, it is a law. And what are what is the reason? Why do you give them? Okay, so in terms of erythromycin, we're giving that. That's an antibiotic ointment. And one, um, you know, the reason we give it is because it prevents chlamydia. Um, And you're probably thinking, well, you know, these moms are like, well, I don't have chlamydia. I never did. But unfortunately, it can be asymptomatic. And if it's not, you know, picked up, then this baby can actually, you know, go blind from not getting this antibiotic ointment. And in terms of the vitamin K, it's preventing bleeding. So, and when I'm talking about bleeding, I'm talking about a potential brain hemorrhage or something like that because um, an infant is born and does not have a, enough vitamin K in their intestine um, at birth. They get it later on as they start, you know, eating and growing, but even mom's breast milk doesn't provide enough of it. And because of that, they are at risk for bleeding seriously from, you know, something seemingly benign. And the simplest way to do that is the injection. 
And, um, you know, unfortunately, the oral vitamin K does not work the same way. So parents do ask often, can I give it to them orally? And it's not going to work in the same way. So that is why we give an injection. For the parents who are scared about their baby being in pain, do these babies feel pain, significant pain from like an injection, for example? You know, every, you, you and I have both had shots. They hurt a little bit. You know, you get a little sore. And I'm not going to say a baby doesn't feel uncomfortable from getting a vaccine because, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tiny little needle, you know, but it's such a tiny little needle and it's such a small amount of pain. It's like a bruise. So it's nothing that should be traumatic long term. It's not an awful experience. It's, it's a little bit of a bruise. And I understand no one wants to hurt their baby. But when you think about the benefits over a tiny little bruise, I mean, it's, the answer is clear. Absolutely. Now, if there were was one thing or one concept that um, people walked away with from the show today, what would you hope it would be? Um, that we do, uh, you know, that neonatologists and, and a NICU team as a whole, the nurses and doctors, we know you're going through a really stressful time and we know it's scary. And we know that, you know, having your baby in the NICU is not what you want to happen, not what you want to hear but that we're trained and that we're here for you and that we will all work together and that we're going to take amazing care of your baby. And that's why we're there. And I hope that gives you know, anyone listening comfort that just because your baby's in the NICU, it's not such a bleak, awful experience. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to take home your baby in most cases, and we're going to take great care of them. That, I think that sounds very comforting. Now, from your standpoint, and you said people ask you all the time, but I'll ask you too quickly, how do you cope, honestly? I, you know, I think as physicians, we all, it's called compartmentalized. We kind of put our some feelings in a box because otherwise we couldn't always function with some of what we see and uh, do. But you're working with some of those smallest, sickest babies, and it must be difficult. Yes, you know, if I, it is difficult, you know, because this is someone's love of their life. This is their, their tiny baby. This is their hope and dream. Um, you know, I had an attending that I worked with early on who compared, you know, these very sick babies that do not make it, and he compared them to butterflies. And I always think of this, and he, you know, said, listen, you know, butterflies, they, they're temporary. You know, we see them in the summer, and they're beautiful, and we, we love them, and you know, we know once the fall and the cold weather comes, they're going to go away. But we enjoy them while they're here, and we appreciate them while we're while they're here. And I think that stuck with me. And that's that's the bottom line. Like you, the parents might see something so heartbreaking happen, but at the end of the day, they were there when that baby was in the NICU, and they saw them, and they loved them then, and they were there, and, and they they enjoyed them then. And and I take that home. I take home that even if the parent loses their child, then it's so heartbreaking that they had them for that brief moment and they love them for that brief moment. And that gives me comfort. It's not always easy. You know, they're, they're very hard days and they're days, you know, when I have to give a parent bad news and I cry and they're, you know, it happens. It's, it's a normal thing. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing, we're doing something good and we're hoping for the best. And if we can, you know, make this be, help this baby survive, that's great. And if they weren't meant to be, that's the case. But at least they brought some joy for a little bit. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful analogy, and um, I'm sure it gives parents comfort as well. Um, yeah, obviously losing your baby is truly everyone's nightmare, but but that's a really beautiful spin on it. 
um, I, I still, I have to say, I give you a lot of credit because I, I cannot imagine how hard it must be on some days. But as you said, most babies are healthy at the when they leave, and that must also be very heartening and make you feel really good. Yeah, I mean, listen, nothing makes me feel better than when I see a, a very premature baby going home with mommy and daddy, and um, that's that's the best feeling that you could possibly have. That and when they visit like six months later and you see how amazing they look and you can't believe it. Um, or, you know, I get a Christmas card a year later and I see this like a you know, chubby little toddler that, you know, started the world at a pound and a half. And it's just, it, it's amazing. You know, it is amazing um, to see such good things happen. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. You are doing truly the most amazing work for the most vulnerable little people and their parents. So I think on behalf of everyone who's had a baby, the NICU, thank you. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Tune in again next weekend, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on TuneIn Radio and the BBM Global Network or anytime on the bbmglobalnetwork.com. Next week, we're going to continue our Mama Doc series with a doctor who co-founded the Baby Bundle app, which makes life with a newborn easier. We're going to learn all about it. So check back in next week. I look forward to hearing from you with questions and thoughts. Email me at cs at carlysnydermd.com and I'll happily answer your questions on the air. This has been an episode of MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Until next time, be well, enjoy life, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Please join us each and every week for answers to the many challenging issues moms face today on the next episode of Dr. Carly's MD for Moms. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.